All right, what's up to all the cinephiles out there? And welcome back to the Marquee Spotlight, coming to you from the still always sunny Portland, Oregon. I am your host, Spencer Bailey, and I'm here with my co-host. She actually believes that revenge is a dish best served lukewarm on a nice potato cake with pearl couscous and grilled asparagus, paired maybe with a Pinot Noir or perhaps something bolder like a Cabernet Sauvignon. For dessert, she recommends standing over your enemy with a hearty chortle. Chelsea Burnett. Did you just come up with that on the spot? Or have you been have you been uh, mulling that over? Does it sound better if I say I just came up with that on the spot? Well, I've, either way, it's better than anything I could ever come up for myself. So you made me sound like a real badass. Thank you, Spencer. It's really fun to be back. Yes, we've been off for a year um, for many reasons. Certainly not by choice. We we would did not have chosen to step away from the podcast for a year. But as Sinatra famously said, that's life. But we're <laughs> back now, and uh, we're so excited to be back. Um, you know, we've had a lot going on in our life. Most notably, Chelsea um, has uh, increased the population uh, by did. bringing a human ch- child into the mix here. Yeah, I think in our last episode we recorded the Ridley Scott when I mentioned having my own little alien inside of me. And um, yes, he has been born. He was born on Black Friday, my beautiful baby boy, Jordan. So Jordan Brooks Burnett, which I'll say Brooks was inspired by the character in The Shawshank Redemption. So uh, it all comes back to the movies. Well, we're going to have to paint somewhere in his room. Brooks was here. So it has a better connotation (laughs) than what happens in the movie. Yes, yes, yes. If you couldn't tell from the intro, the spotlight topic of today is going to be revenge movies. One of my favorite uh, categories of movies. Uh, Super pumped to get into that because they're always fun to talk about. Uh, But before we do that, no news story. Now that we're back, we were off for a year. And a lot of stuff happened since then. And there's a lot of movies that we didn't get to talk about. Uh, and a lot of movie theater experiences we didn't get to talk about. So to start off today, before we get into the spotlight topic, we want to go back and we want to talk about some of the stuff we didn't get to talk about. Yeah. As if we hadn't seen it. it we're, we're, we still t- chatted a little bit through through the months, the, the last year about about the movies, but now we get to share it with all of these listeners. Yeah. So. I think that, you know, we didn't get to get into um, as dynamic of conversation of conversations that we would have liked because we're usually in a social setting where there's a lot of other people and we don't really get to dig into this stuff. We're usually getting pulled away and other people are like, oh my God, are you two talking about fucking movies again? Or there's a baby squirming around somewhere or a dog needs attention or something. Yes. Yeah. This this is going to be great to unpack everything because you saw a lot over the last year. And we are unshackled in this room. So uh, lots to talk about. Uh, the first thing I wanted to bring up because we did bring it up last year was at the beginning of the year, Netflix put out that, um, trailer where they were advertising all the movies they had coming out. Uh, well now those movies have come out and we've watched most of them as exciting as that campaign was like, none of those movies were good. I'm pretty underwhelming. Yeah. Do do you have any highlights from that? Anything? Um, I mean, Glass Onion was pretty good. It, it was not as good as Knives Out. Um, I think a lot of people felt that way. I thought the idea was was kind of neat. I thought that all the acting was really good, and I thought it had some awesome moments, but the ending was just kind of flat. There wasn't the big um, traditional mystery detective 
breaking down all the pieces. And even he says it. He's like, this is all so stupid. Mm. And then, you know, he's like, there's really nothing I can do. And the backlash from everyone else is what brings the villain down. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it was fine. And I, I still want more Knives Out movies. I just hope the next one is closer to the first one. Yeah, I think what kind of made that movie fall apart for me was that I didn't find it very believable that all of those people would have come together organically to be friends and and uh, that got, you know, they kind of got behind Edward Norton to begin with. Um, but uh, but it still was a it was a very pretty film to look at. And it had oh, yeah. it really did have some there were some really funny parts, that, uh, you know, throughout it. But I'm also still kind of grappling with how I want to see the pandemic portrayed in film and tv like i don't know if i like having it referenced to yet or not and so that's just my own hang up though i'm not i i feel that ryan johnson you know used it to write uh you the best of his abilities or whatever but he employed it uh but i don't know it just kind of it took me out of the movie watching it but yeah i mean there was definitely some clever stuff. Like I loved in the flashbacks that Edward Norton, Edward Norton's character was dressed like Tom Cruise from Magnolia, <laughs> kind of signifying what kind of guy he always was, just this loser douchebag that like looked up to the wrong the wrong types of people. But yeah, it was still fun. I still enjoyed it. I was just I think I wanted it to live up to what the first movie was and it it just didn't. It doesn't mean it's not good, but uh looking forward to what I know we're going to get what at least one more on Netflix, but I mean, if they made seven of these, I'd, I'd be all in. Sure. Yeah. I, I think Ryan Johnson is a filmmaker you just kind of want to root for. And Daniel Craig as um, that great. character is great. So, so good. Um, speaking of, of movies, though, that were released uh, on a streaming platform or made for streaming platform um, that I remember seeing in the last year that is probably one of my favorites was uh, Causeway, which came out on Apple, uh, Apple TV. Is that, is that how they go? it goes by Apple Apple Plus. Apple, Apple Plus. TV Plus? Apple yeah, Plus. Yeah. Apple Plus. The Jennifer Lawrence movie. Um, that I just wanted to shout out as being um, – it was a real quiet little film, and it did, I think, get one Oscar nomination for Brian Tyree Henry as a supporting yes. actor. Very deserved. But um, I thought it was a really great return for Jennifer Lawrence and reminded me of sort of the kind of – work she was doing in like winter's bone and uh i i just i was very moved by it i really loved that movie so i wanted to just shout it out yeah i mean there was a lot of streaming movies because i think we were still kind of in pandemic mode but i i do want to say you know 2020 was a rough year because of the pandemic and then we did our end of year 2021 and we were like this was a, a good movie year and i think some of that was you know left a better impression because 2020 was so bad. 2022 was like, wow, this is like blowing the last couple of years out of the water. And you, you can really speak to that because you did see, I mean, you saw a lot of movies, but you, you saw all of the best picture nominees before the Oscars. Is that correct? I did. I saw, I saw everything. Um, I can definitely talk about that. I wanted to just wrap up the Netflix stuff. So like I watched Spiderhead, not good. Uh, Gray Man was, I liked it a little better than the public did, but it wasn't very good. Um, and then did you ever watch Blonde? I could never work myself up to watching it because it just got, I just, people just sounded depressed when they talked about it. And I was like, I don't really know if I need to put myself through that. 
I think what I said on Letterboxd was this was about like mixing Marilyn Monroe's life with Jacob's Ladder. I mean, that's that's what it felt like. I mean, I I wasn't depressed at the end because I was just like, what is this? What is this even trying to be? Uh, Ana de Armas is really good in it. Uh, and also Adrian Brody was is really good in it. But it's just like, I mean, it's almost three hours of just like, what the fuck am I watching? I, I don't know. Like unrelenting kind of feeling about it. I mean, it's just. I just kept it kept reminding me of Jacob's Ladder the, the whole time. <laughs> I mean, I was just like, this feels like a fever dream. This is so weird. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I appreciate Netflix letting Andrew Dominic like take a risk, but yeah, not 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 good. Mm. Um, as for the Best Picture nominees, yeah, I saw everything. Um, All Quiet on the Western Front. That's another Netflix movie. Is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I, I was watched it. I was blown away. I I remember being really impressed with it. I'm glad to see that it was up for best picture. It got uh, won the best international. I was pl- very pleased when it won for score and cinematography, which I was really hoping it would. Avatar: Way of Water. Uh, saw it theater just to say I did it. Uh, felt exactly the same way about the first one. Eh, like a feast for the eyes and a plot we've seen a million times. I I really, I, I have to say, I just cannot wrap my head around why these Avatar movies are as popular as they are. Because for me, they're like a three out of five star movie. It's like, it's fine. Well, does James Cameron usually work for you? Like, I mean, oh. uh, obviously. Ter- Terminators, yes, Aliens. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, both Terminator movies, Aliens, True Lies. Um, you know, Titanic is not for me, but I appreciate what he accomplished with it. Mm-hmm. Kind of with Abyss, too. Abyss doesn't totally work for me, but um, what he was able to pull off in the early eight, or the late 80s is really, really incredible. Yeah. Do you know, does does he write, is he the sole screenwriter for the Avatar films, or does... Is, uh, uh, well, I can tell you right now. Okay. Look. Um, I think he's probably not the only writer. Yeah, he's not. It's, it's James Cameron, Rick Jaffa, and others. Okay. So, but, I, yeah, I don't know. I just... I sat in the theater. I'm like, this is three hours and 15 minutes. It looks really cool. There's just some, I don't know. <laughs> it's just some weird stuff in there. Like they sit down. There's the whole thing about these whales and like the, the head of the water tribe is like, all right, everybody sit down. Let me tell you the legend of these whales. These whales were like gang related and they covered their turf. And if you entered their turf, they threw down. And I'm like, I can't take this seriously. This is so absurd. I can't speak to it. I haven't seen it yet, but uh, I I do every time I open the Max app, it's there reminding me that it, it can be viewed now. So I I will get around to it at some point. But uh, I felt a little lukewarm about the first Avatar, but I I missed out and I didn't get to see it in theaters. So I could have had a different feeling maybe about the whole franchise if I had seen it in theaters. I don't know, but I, I mean, I saw the original theaters. It was an awesome experience, but I was just like. This is this plot is not interesting enough to be three hours long. Mm-hmm. Um, Elvis, we both saw that. We had we had differing opinions. It just it didn't work for me. Um, I thought there's some cool moments. All the stuff in Vegas was like I was like this is excellent filmmaking. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know. There was just so much that just did not work for me. The dialogue was absurd, um, and the, some of the choices they made. I'm like, why are we focusing on this part? You know, the whole. Elvis lamenting about MLK dying and just saying, Dr. King, he always spoke the truth. I was like, man, this is really bad. 
I think I chose to overlook some of that because I was just so taken with I, I really I I thought Tom Hanks' performance really worked for me, actually. I thought it was a, a bit of a joke when I saw it just in the trailer. But if you sit with it for the whole film, I walked away from it being uh, like totally hooked by his villain villainy in it. So um, but yeah, I mean, you got to love how committed uh um, and of course, I'm going to forget his name right now. The actor who played Elvis, but uh, oh, Austin Butler. Austin Butler. Thank you. You have to, you know, uh, tip your hat to how committed he was. I mean, his his accent, his voice, the manner of speaking is forever changed. He was so influenced by Elvis making that movie. But and I and I really was moved by his performance too. I yeah, I loved it. But yeah, the Vegas. I would say. To anyone that's like maybe on the fence of watching that movie, I would just say, yeah, go to this point in the movie and watch until this point and you won't be sorry. Um, all that, all the Vegas stuff. Yeah, I thought Austin Butler was pretty good. Um, it took a minute for it to kick in for me, though. The early part of the movie, I was like, he's doing this weird emo pout. And I'm like, that Elvis never did that. But right about the part where his mom dies, I started to be like, oh, yeah, here it is. He's he's killing it now. What else we got here? Banshees of Insurance. I think we both really liked that oh, movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. I, I, It was one of those things where I felt like people involved in that movie deserved Oscars, but who they were up against, you just couldn't give it to them, which is a shame. But mm-hmm. uh, Barry Keoghan um, and Carrie uh, yeah. uh, Condon, that's her name, right? I think so, yeah. Both of them were just amazing. As, of course, Brendan Gleeson and, and Colin Farrell were also um, we don't need to wax poetic too much. This movie got talked about a lot. We're just going to say the exact same things. Everything we liked about it was everybody liked about it. Mm-hmm. Um, did you see the Fablemans? I never got to see that. No, man. I, uh, I don't know. Like people were giving it four to five stars on letterbox and I gave it three and a half. I was just like, yeah, like I appreciated Spielberg being vulnerable with us, especially someone as so high in the mountain as he is this, you know, incredibly famous, prestigious person to be so vulnerable. I really appreciated that. But the movie was just like, yeah, all right. I thought he was too long. Like pretty much most of his time in high school could have done without. Uh, but it's fine. I, I was really surprised after I watched it that it was getting as much praise as it was. And it was up for so many Oscars. I I will say I didn't see The Fablemans, but I have seen an HBO documentary about Steven Spielberg. Um, it's been a few years since I've watched it, but it really does dive into his upbringing and the relationship between his parents, their divorce, and how that really impacted his um, his storytelling, his career. Yeah. Um, so uh, I would totally recommend that documentary to anyone um but even then you can kind of tell i i think it's a little bit like pulling teeth trying to get steven spielberg to like really open up and be vulnerable like you said it's uh still i mean he's one of the most influential filmmakers of the last 50 years so um such it's i think it's very cool to to learn a little bit more about what drives him inspires him and the common themes of family and almost all of his movies so yeah, it's very common, you know, E.T., you know, the perfect example, you know, uh, single mom, mm-hmm. raised kids. I mean, he he did stuff like that all the time. Hashtag daddy issues. Uh, Topic of Maverick, we did a whole episode about. So mm-hmm. if you want to know our thoughts on that, uh, spoiler alert, we, we, we rocked our asses off. So go listen to that episode. Uh, Triangle of Sadness, did you watch that? 
Okay. Yes. I wanted to say that this was actually probably my favorite movie of last year. Oh, um, no shit. Yeah. Okay. That, All right. Go for it. Uh, I, I didn't watch it last year, but of the films that were up for uh, Academy Awards um, and uh, I did, Micah and I watched it mm, a month or so ago now. I think uh, it was on Hulu. I, I'm... I'm still I would love to rewatch it. I think there is even more I could take I could, you know, pick apart from it, but off after my initial viewing, I just think this director Ruben Ostland, I think is his name. I'm probably butchering the pronunciation of his last name, but um I really liked Force Force Majeure and what I think he is so good at, he's like really taps into human nature and it's like how dynamic it is, how ugly and funny and loving we all can be. And this movie, I think if you were just to go off of what you saw in the trailer, you could be like, oh, okay, I see what he's doing. He's, you know, it's a pretty scathing portrait of the rich. And and he it is, but it's a lot more than that to me. I just thought um, from a story building and world building perspective, it's just really perfectly crafted. And it really got under my skin. And... The performances are so spot on. I would love it's it's very sad that the lead actress who plays um, the model um, in the couple that the story is mainly focusing on. She did die um, last year. Yeah, very unexpected. It would have been wonderful to see where her career goes. But um, the other actor who plays her model boyfriend in it. My God, he's so funny and in a very subtle way. I think he's just like I, I don't know if that's just credit to how he was directed or. But I would I'm going to keep tabs on him to see where where he goes. But um, did you end up seeing Triangle of Sadness? Oh, yeah. Because oh, that it. was up for Best Picture. I couldn't yeah, remember it if it up, was just the four up for directing. Um, oh, no, not, it was up but, for Best Picture. Okay. It, didn't, it won the Palm Door, didn't it? I believe so. Yeah. 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 Um, I liked it. OK. I um, it's beautifully shot, even even in a scene where everybody is vomiting and diarrheaing all over the place i could have done without but it was beautifully shot i have to say <laughs> um i just i think what bugged me about it was it was about as subtle as a sledgehammer it was just so on the nose and and repetitively on the nose i was like okay i get it but i mean like i a rich man quoting marks to plead for food is is one of the funniest things i saw <laughs> last year um so yeah it was all right um I, I didn't work for me as much as others, but that that's totally fine. Uh, women talking, I said, said at the beginning of last year was something I was really looking forward to because um, just hearing Francis McDormand, Jesse Buckley, I just, God, I just adore Jesse Buckley, even in Men, which was a totally bizarre 2022 movie, mm-hmm. uh, which was also very on the nose in the weirdest way possible. But I love Jesse Buckley, so I was really looking forward to women talking, and it was fine. It was all right. Some of it, I thought was really good and some of it didn't work for me. Like I, I was very perplexed at a group of women that were forbidden from writing and reading and learning, uh, had dialogue that sounded like Shakespeare wrote it at times, but, uh, acting was really good. Claire Foy was amazing in it. So good. Uh, I was actually surprised she wasn't nominated, but it was okay. It, it was a solid, well-made movie that it, I had a couple of gripes about, but nothing crazy. Uh, that leaves us with the two big ones. And when I say two big ones, the one I really want to talk about is tar. Uh, I have not got a chance to talk about tar in the show. 
That was my favorite movie of last year. Absolutely blew my doors off. I have it in 4K. I will let you borrow it. Okay. I mean, what a masterful movie with so many complexities all interwoven with each other. I not only think it was the best movie of the year, I think the scene in the uh, music school is the best scene of the year. Um, I, I, I was actually, I had, to, I had to really struggle internally watching the Oscars because I really loved everything every while at once. In fact, I re-listened to our last few episodes to get ready to come back and listen to me really just gush about everything all every while at once. And uh, very, like, specifically, I gushed. And I had to kind of remind myself that I really did love that movie because I got very annoyed that it won everything and Tar won nothing. Yeah, you know, that's kind of like a syndrome or whatever, like that burnout we can experience after an award season, which is unfair to good movies, like everything, everywhere, all at once. So it's really cool to hear you say that you went back to remind yourself like I really did love that movie like um but because I I kind of felt maybe the same way where I was like oh it just it's sad when something just uh you know overshadows all other uh uh, all other things in competition so um but I would love to just give you the floor to talk more about Tar. So Uh, well I mean Todd Todd Field should have won best director I mean he he was I, the the story in Tar is so complex and and breaking down so many little nuanced things. I thought the ending was brilliant. I haven't seen it since it was in theaters. I need to, I want to give it a rewatch soon. I did buy a physical copy. I I mean I was just I was absolutely floored. And what I'm I, I'm most excited to rewatch it is it really does seem like one of those movies, kind of in the vein of like a PTA movie or a Michael Mann movie where. The more you watch it, you're going to keep picking up little things that you didn't notice because there's so much going on. Um, I'm really looking forward to that. And I don't want to take anything away from everywhere, everything everywhere all at once. Uh, I do think Todd F- Field should have won Best Director. And I'm not going to take Michelle Yeoh's Oscar away because she had to do a lot in that movie. Um, and I know everybody says Kate Blanchett already won two. Yes, she did. And this was probably her best performance of her career, which is saying a lot. So... I'm not going to take Michelle Yeoh's away, but uh, I mean, hmm. Kate Blanchett should won a third Oscar in my opinion. But I am excited. I, I did also buy everything every well at once. I'm really excited to give that another another watch, especially after listening to what I said over a year ago about the movie. Um, I had a lot of really specific things to say that I completely forgot about. So those two movies were just a perfect example why last year was such a great step up after post COVID. Yeah, it gave us such variety. I think. And something for everyone. Uh, a couple more 2022 movies I just wanted to touch on. Uh, Saw the Whale. It worked for me and Lacey a little better than most people, but I don't need to see it again. Really happy Brendan Fraser uh, won that. That was such a great moment. Uh, did you see The Menu? I still haven't seen it, no. Um, but I, I, know you, I know you have some thoughts about uh, Anya Taylor-Joy. She's really so, good in this. Okay. Yeah. So... Uh, uh, I don't dislike her. I, I think we brought her up in the show in the past. I just I thought she was really good in Queen's Gambit. And other than that, I just think she is okay. Mm-hmm. I've never seen her anything. She's bad. Um, but what about I, the witch? You, eh, you okay? <laughs> yeah, she's fine. I mean, the witch was just kind of okay to me in general. But uh, the the one that really struck me was Thoroughbreds because mm-hmm. every scene she's in with Olivia Cook, Olivia Cook is absolutely eating her lunch. Um, mm-hmm. But everything else I've seen her in, I'm just like somebody else could have done this. I actually think she's not very good in the Northman, but um, she's, she's actually, I thought she was pretty good in the menu and I thought the menu did a funner 
version of what Triangle Sadness was saying. They're okay. saying the same thing. Oh, well, I I do want to watch it. It's it's on my list. So literally on my list on Max to it's, watch. But it's amusing. It's yeah. very amusing. Let's see. Nope. Did you see Nope? I didn't see Nope, but uh, I liked what you had to tell me about it uh, yeah. off mic. Yeah. I think probably my. It's the one Jordan Peele movie where I'm like, I want to watch this again. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was. Uh, just sights and sounds, like visuals and audio, amazing. A uh, really interesting idea. And when you kind of like start breaking down people's theories, um, it gets even more interesting. He just, he, I think he gets a little carried away. He has these really cool ideas and then he just like takes it a little, makes it overly complex sometimes. I, th- I, I mean, it, which was in Get Out, I thought some stuff was a little too straightforward and a little too complex, but, uh, Super talented guy. I mean, he's going to keep making movies and looking forward to what else he's got to come. Do you think uh, he and Daniel Kaluuya um, will continue to make films together? And this was their second movie together. Do you see it as kind of like a Martin Scorsese? De Niro, I was about to say the same thing. Mm -hmm. Probably. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, people tend to grab onto their, you know, like Greta Gerwig has Saoirse Ronan. Mm -hmm. And uh, 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 Robert Eggers has Anya Taylor-Joy. So... And Willem Dafoe. So we'll see how that goes. Wes Anderson has 15 people. Um, <laughs> speaking of that, we'll get to him in a second. Last 2022 movie. Oh, I did want to just bring up real quickly. Kind of came and went, but Prey, the uh, Predator prequel. Oh, yes. I did see that. Shockingly good. Mm-hmm. Like the best Predator movie since the original. Like I remember the whole time I was watching it, I was just killing myself. I cannot believe how good this movie is. Yeah. It was very, it was just pure fun. Like to I I and yeah. amazing score. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do wish that uh, the movie had been in the traditional Native American language of subtitles, but nits a nitpick. I don't. It's really great. Um, but the last one I wanted to bring up because it was so controversial, so polarizing. And I I don't know that you've gotten to see it. Did you watch Babylon? I did not watch Babylon. When you start started saying something with a B, I was like, uh, and I'll bring it up after we talk about Babylon. But no, I did not see that b movie i did not see babylon i really encourage uh, i wish i could just make you all go read my letterbox review because that really broke down i have to start it by saying i need to start this review by saying i like this movie but i gotta say that because if you keep reading you're gonna think that i didn't there's too much too much good in babylon and and i had too much fun watching it to say it's not good so if anybody tells you it's not good it's good but oh there were some choices made um I definitely recommend checking it out at least once and then kind of maybe reading some discussions online about some of the stuff. It's a fascinating movie that made a few poor choices. Uh, but, oh, my God, Margot Robbie is like a unicorn superstar. Mm. Uh, you, I, w- I was going to have my little Timothy Chalamet corner and and just oh, yeah, talk yeah. about I Bones and all. It. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, so Bones and All came out right before... Uh, it came out in November, right before my due date. So I was like, I don't see myself making it to the Cannibal Love Story movie um, and sitting through it in the theater, just in case, you know, I go into labor. But um, I did finally get around to seeing it uh, a couple months ago. And I, you know, it was Timothy Chalamet and Luca Guadagnino teamed up again um, after Call Me By Your Name. And I... I th- I think if Luca Guadagnino's style um, 
his aesthetic works for you, that then you're already going to be in on this movie. Um, I think it's also it's also really cool to see um, a foreign filmmaker making such an American movie. Like this is following, you know, these characters in the 80s on a road trip through through mainly like kind of the Midwestern state, Southern states. But um, uh, I, I think when you have like an outsider's kind of perspective on what is Americana, that um, also sort of makes you look at your own country in sort of a, a new light. And I really appreciated that. Um, I mean, I'm really talking around the whole cannibal element of it. And yes, that is there. Yes, it is gruesome at times. But um, I I think that um, I, I didn't find it to be too gratuitous or anything. So if anyone's like afraid of of getting into it because of that, like they're going to faint, you know, from from how disturbing or disgusting it is. Um, I, 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 I don't know. I, I, I wasn't that, uh, impacted by, by it, but, uh, I always, I always loved Timothy Chalamet and I really think he was tapping into kind of his innate, like sensuality and kind of this, this, uh, vibe that he has that really worked for his character. And, um, the lead actress Taylor, um, which I should have noted her name, but um, Taylor something. Uh, you'll have to look it up. I think she's someone to be on the lookout for and what she has going on um, in the future. I thought she had a real sweet like vulnerability to her performance. Taylor Russell. Taylor Russell. Thank you. And then, um, and then we've got uh, I. I apologize, my brain, and I should have taken better notes. But um, the act, the British actor, he oh, Mark Rylance. Thank you, Mark Rylance. Oh, he is so, 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 so creepy, and is doing incredible, incredible work in this movie. So, um, and Luca Guadagnino also always happens to pick just like incredible soundtracks for his film. So, um, there's some really great '80s music in this movie. Um, like not obvious eighties music that is really cool. So I loved it. I just, you know, uh, I know I'm a little biased because I do love Timothy Chalamet, but I, I really enjoyed this movie. It's definitely on my list. Um, I'm kind of wait. I feel like it's going to hit a streaming service soon and that's what I'm waiting for. I mean, I guess I could just rent it, but, uh, uh, definitely have it, have it on the list. Want to check it out. Uh, when I heard it was a, a cannibal love story, I said, say no more. I'm in. Um, so now we're in 2023 and it's been a pretty solid start. The first movie I want to bring up because you saw it and I am actually angry with myself for having still not seen this movie. I, it was on my radar before it came out and the feedback about it is just that it is just a wonderfully amazing movie. So showing up, which was filmed here in Portland, you Mm -hmm. saw it. So please. Yeah, I, you know, I'm curious. So I saw it at a crew screening last fall and I am curious if it's gone through any more edits uh, since then, since they released it in theaters. Um, Not that I think it needed to be changed at all, but I guess I'm just noting that before I give my little review of it. Um, You know, I think what I told you, Spencer, at the time after I saw it was I, I think I might, I would like to watch it again because I was a little put off by Michelle Williams character 
and she's, I'm not saying she's doing a bad job, but I feel that like this, there's like a warmth to her that's really, that I, her as a, a person, as an actor that um, is just missing in the character. And so she's doing good work because I don't think that character necessarily called for that, but I just was maybe missing that or craving that a little bit. Um, but, uh, others, you know, standouts, I can say that I really loved, um, Hong Chow. I, I mean, she was just, I know she got a lot of uh, attention for the whale. Um, but she's just, and I've heard she's incredible in the menu as well probably better in the menu than she is in the way yeah um but hong chow i think is maybe that that heart of the film and showing up that i'm not getting from michelle williams that like i really she was just bringing life i think to that movie and kelly reichardt does make a little more i guess you could say pensive or quiet films and this is definitely one of those um but always like she's she's such a an incredible artist and um, her as an artist making a movie about artists because Michelle Williams works at an art college, um, art and craft college. She's a sculptor. Um, I I just think it's this beautiful love letter to kind of her community, to Kelly Reichardt's, Reichardt's kind of community of other fellow artists. And um, there's some really cool work with the score that I believe um, Andre 3000 or Andre Benjamin, who's also acting in the movie, had something to do with. So Definitely, it's like one of my favorite jobs I've ever had doing the payroll for that movie. And I will always look back on the summer making it with with such fondness. And so, um, yeah, I uh, and I think it captures Portland at a really, really pretty time of year, too. So um, go see it. Go see Showing Up. Yeah, we uh, we tried to step out to go see it at the Hollywood Theater a couple times and just Every time something came up, and it was in and out of theater so quick because it's a smaller movie, but it's available for rent. So I just need to just need to get on that. Uh, for me, uh, we might be jumping ahead on the spotlight topic here, but folks, let me tell you something. Oh, I think I know what you're going to say. What has now become truly non-hyperbole, one of my most memorable theater experiences of my entire life, John Wick 4. <laughs> I cannot believe that the fourth installment of this franchise that was almost three hours long, it might be the best of the franchise. And it's in the running for one of the like top three greatest action movies of all time. Everything they accomplished, the fight choreography, the way the pacing, I mean, the movie doesn't even feel like it's almost three hours. It should, I, it better be up for best cinematography. It's just absolutely gorgeous to look at. Uh, what a fun ride. I saw it in IMAX by myself and sat grinning like an idiot for over three hours, for almost three hours. I don't know to say a franchise that started with, which we'll get to in the next segment, but a movie that was almost going to be, you know, straight, basically a straight to streaming or something, mm-hmm. but it's turned into, uh, I, I can't, I, if you didn't see John wick four in theaters, I I'm, I'm sorry. That's all I have to say. I missed um, the boat. Well, I, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, I think lastly, I will say actually just a couple nights ago, uh, I got to see Asteroid City. Mm. Uh, and I don't think we've ever got to really have a conversation about Wes Anderson on the show. No. Uh, I'll say about Asteroid City, I, I liked it. Um, probably his funniest movie. Okay. Uh, and the cast is just... Funnier than Royal Tannenbaums, really? It's been a while since I okay. saw Royal Tannenbaums. And um, 
You know, so if we're going to talk about Wes Anderson, I'll just say I have nothing but respect for him. Um, what comes out of his brain is so incredible and fascinating. And, and it's just something about his movies that don't always totally work for me. And w- what I find so perplexing is, you know, his movies are not long. They're usually like an hour and a half. And always going into the last act, I, I feel like I'm like, are we almost done? Mm-hmm. We'll be like an hour 15 in and I'm like, we're about, we're about wrapping this up. And I don't know why that is, uh, which is funny because I also saw a couple months ago, French Dispatch. That might be my favorite Wes Anderson movie. I think an anthology style movie really lends itself to his style really, really well. Um, and Asteroid City, he kind of has this back and forth where the main story is depicted as a play and then they'll show you how the play came. There's more to it than that. But the breaking it up really helped move the movie along. Um, it's good. I recommend it. But, right. but yeah, Wes Anderson, I don't know. Like, I really like Bottle Rocket. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rushmore is good. Uh, same thing, though, about two-thirds of the way through the movie. I thought it was almost over, and it wasn't. Uh, I remember really liking Royal Tenenbaums a lot, but it's been a while. Oh, I hope you rewatch it soon, because I had such so much fun when I finally rewatched it a few years ago. And I had it anywhere. Oh, it was on Prime at the time, but I don't know. Yeah, I'd love to rewatch, but I don't know, like Life Aquatic kind of bored me. Um, Grand Budapest Hotel I thought was good, but again, going to the last act, I'm just like, come on, let's wrap this up. Darjeeling Limited, I remember feeling kind of antsy for it to, yeah. to end but i still um, need to see moonrise kingdom i've heard that's a, a really good one i love fantastic mr fox yeah uh isle of dogs i thought was just magical but again when you finally back. got into the disney plus account <laughs> oh yeah your, your disney plus account yeah so i don't know we got a lot coming up in 2022 i'm um, hoping to see indiana jones uh tomorrow oh cool i i don't need it to be Amazing. I just need it to be better than Crystal Skull. Harrison Ford, one of the hardest working men in Hollywood still. Like he's in Shrinking on Apple TV Plus. He's in the new Indiana Jones movie. He's on the Yellowstone like prequel series. Like, you know, there's no stopping him. We're going to have to do an episode on him. I mean, you go back and look at his 80s run and we just didn't know how good we had it. Um I mean, I, I undeniably the greatest run of movies an actor's ever had. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just criminally underrated. One Oscar nomination for Witness. I think because he doesn't, like, show that he wants the awards. That Like, he, he doesn't really play the game, it seems like. He's a like. strange person. So I think that if you're not willing to play the game, they're not going to reward you as much. But um, but that's, I guess, why we love him so much. So He's so nonchalant. Well, Chelsea, is there any other movie that we didn't get a chance to touch on? Um, I, I mean, after all, talking about all these other epic films, me bringing up Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris just feels like such a small little little note but or little blip. But I, I have to say that was a movie. I think it may have been nominated for Best uh, Costumes at the Oscars. But uh, Leslie Manville is the star of it. Um, just is... A delightful, sweet little film and uh, reminded me of kind of the movies I would like on a rainy day. My mom would be like, do you want to go to the theater? And we just would see what's playing and pop in and have a great couple hours. And that's kind of the feeling it gave me rewatching it. So Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, I I really loved it. So if you're just uh, looking for something, you know, that's not going to be challenging or anything, just something to make you feel good, put it on. 
All right. Well, I'm glad we got all that out. We've been holding on to it for a year. It feels good to express our thoughts and feelings. Uh, so with that, we'll take a quick break and then come back with the spotlight topic of the episode. And welcome back. So as we said, uh, this episode's spotlight topic is revenge movies. Uh, this is one of my favorite categories of movies. I always find them to be entertaining um, and usually satisfying with some exceptions that we might bring up later on. Chelsea, you, you kind of asked what sparked this. Well, what really sparked this was I went on a, a run where I just started binging revenge movies, uh, which prompted me to make a list on Letterbox, and then I sent that list to Chelsea, and then we kind of thought, oh, this would be a great topic to go over on the show. Yeah. Um, but I don't really remember what sparked it. I watched something, and then I, I, I think I watched one of the Park Chan-wook movies, and then I just wanted to keep going. And I was just in this mode where I was just binging revenge movies, and I just realized just how fun and satisfying they are. Fun, I think, is that key word. Um, I, um, I think I was trying to, like, ascribe, like, this higher meaning to why we like revenge movies, like why they click with audiences. And I was talking to our friend Taylor and she said, well, they're fun. <laughs> like revenge is fun. Absolutely. So, um, and, and I think, yeah, I think she also, I want to credit what she told me. She said like, well, we're so often like told, like it's not good. Like an eye for an eye isn't, uh, it is, it's the warning of why you shouldn't, um, uh, you know, seek revenge. So it's, I, it's, it's, you know, fun. It's cathartic to watch uh, others do it on screen. So we, cause it's something I think we all fantasize about. Yeah. Well, but, that, that was what I was going to say. That's something we've said in the past on the show is why we like movies just in general. You know, we get to cathartically, you know, live vicariously through these characters we see in the show that can do things that we don't get to do. And, you know, even if somebody wrongs you in real life, you a sane person does not really want to seek, you know, organized revenge on them. But to watch someone else do it in a movie can be can be very freeing and stress relieving. Yeah. And it also is um, depending, I guess, on the the movie, your the revenge movie you're watching. But a lot of them seem to be like, oh, you're watching them make a uh, plan of action and it's always kind of fun to see when that's well done like it's fun to see the pieces come together like I'm thinking of like Ocean's Eleven movies like when you're you're watching like the team assemble or the person get their you know their equipment together and and like it's all this build up to that mate yeah yeah no the the organization and the uh uh, the orchestration orchestration i like that yeah of, of how everything comes together is is usually really fun to watch um but i think we kind of set off air one of the thing that makes this this uh, genre so compelling is that it, there's not a uniformity to it and that depending on the story revenge can look very differently the outcome can be very different um it, you know it, it it can affect the characters in different ways um, you know, the outcome, I think, I, I mean, I think I just said this, but I'm repeating myself, but the outcome can be different depending on what happens. Mm -hmm. Um, so that can really make for a compelling story, uh, from movie to movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like we, 
and and thinking about like not every not every protagonist in these revenge films feels the same at the end of it when they've you know finally gotten their their revenge and um I uh I think that was something that unless I had never really thought much about and revenge movies until like I was preparing for this show and really kind of trying to look at these movies in it with a new perspective or a new lens so um yeah do you typically like I don't want to call it a happy ending but do you do you like when the when the protagonist walks away feeling feeling satisfied feeling good about what they accomplished or do you are the ones when they're still kind of like downtrodden or numb or maybe they die themselves at the end after getting their revenge do you have a do you have ones that speak to you more yeah um i think it depends on the story i mean there's definitely a one very well-known popular one we're going to bring up where it is I, i quote unquote a happy ending for the protagonist i don't i don't think happy is necessarily the right word but everything works out for him uh, and it's great it's exactly what the movie needed uh but i think that when things are more complicated than that uh when the results are more complicated that certainly makes for a more compelling story or when what the revenge looks like makes you as a viewer really have to ask yourself a lot of personal questions yeah uh, and we'll get into some of those movies as well um I think it's also important to denote what makes a revenge movie. And I think that on the surface level of certain movies, people want to go, oh, that's a revenge movie. And, I, you know, based on criteria, I, I may not necessarily agree. I think the most obvious example I, I can think of, especially when you Google revenge movies, is Taken. Uh, Taken is not a revenge movie. Mm. It's a rescue movie. Uh, I, I think that if Liam Neeson found his daughter in the first place he looked, he would have grabbed her up and put her on a plane and he would have gone, you know, they would have gone home and he wouldn't have killed everybody in the movie that he killed. The only reason he kills everybody is because it takes him that long to get to his daughter. Now, had he found her in the first place he looked, sent her home and stayed in France to kill everybody, then it would have become a revenge movie. Mm-hmm. That, that's a very good distinction. I'm glad you just kind of very succinctly, you know, cleared that up for me because I think I was struggling a little bit figuring out what, uh, I'm blanking now on some of them of like a month or so ago when we first decided to do this. And I was like, oh, couldn't this qualify? And you're like, I don't know about that. I don't really think that does. But uh, and uh, just off mic, we were saying that a couple people said to me when I said, oh, I'm doing a show on revenge movies. They're like the princess bride. And I think it's it's interesting to note that that's where I think a lot of people's minds go to. But um, but base, I mean. I think it also depends, too, on how you see Wesley's journey. If you think what he's doing is trying to get some revenge on Buttercup uh, and for how she was always so cruel to him until they finally professed their love. And then he goes off with the Dread Pirate Roberts. But really, it's an ego Montoya that has like the big revenge plot line of the of the movie. But um, I guess. I, I guess Princess Bride is more of romance comedy if you're really going out of bra- brass tacks. But sure, yeah, I would say that uh, revenge needs to be the central focus point of the movie, uh, and I would say Inigo Montoya's revenge is not only not the central focus point of the movie, but I I would say it's not even the central focus point of that character. Um, oh, you don't? No, I mean I think he 
he brings it up at the beginning. And then when he finds um, Christopher Guest, it comes back up. But I mean, between all that, it's his relationship building with Andre the Giant and it's them trying to help Wesley. It's just, he, he talks about and, and is focused on so many other things than revenge. Revenge for him is really like, if it gets happens, I'm just going through life until I find that six-finger man. And if you guys don't have six fingers, we can talk about something else. It did lead to one of the most iconic monologues, though, like, I, of all, of all uh, time. Incredible. So, yeah. Incredible scene. Yeah. Um, some other examples I saw come up, uh, The Prestige. The Prestige is not a revenge movie to me. It's an obsession movie. Mm. It's a competition movie. Uh, obsessed with competition. I guess yeah. you could just boil it down to that. Yeah. And then The Fugitive came up. Also, not, not a revenge mm-hmm. movie. This is a guy trying to clear his name and keep away from the, the law. So uh, I can tell you that I when I did a, a search, I was looking for um, some like more female-led revenge films and uh, Jennifer's Body came up. And I had seen that movie before. Have you ever seen Jennifer's Body, Megan Fox? No, but I, I know what the... The gist is and how it was a tremendously misunderstood movie when it came out. And now there's a growing appreciation for there it on the back is. end. Yeah. And wow, it's such a movie of its time, too. Like, it really took me back to high school, um, but uh, in, in great ways. Uh, but And it's a really good Megan Fox performance. I think she deserves more credit. Um, she's so much more than what she is in the uh, Transformers movies. But um, anyway, I all that to say, I don't, I would not classify that as a revenge movie either, but uh, it's, it's more of uh, a horror comedy. There are revenge elements and there's kind of the, the person you think, oh, is Jennifer Megan Fox's character the one seeking the revenge? And no, it's without spoiling too much for a very old movie, but uh, Amanda Seyfried is really the one that I would say is, is trying to get a type of revenge um, in the movie. But again, just wanted to say, I'm glad it inspired me to rewatch the movie. It was fun, but no, I, I would not say it's a revenge film. Well, with all that being said, let's just let's just dive in. I mean, I don't think we've got any specific way we want to do this. I have the list I made on Letterboxd, but of course you had some revenge movies that you watched and wanted to bring up. So I'll just ask you first, is there one that you want to start with that really want to bring up? Oh, man. Um, I mean, I guess we could just kind of get going with this because... Um, it's so funny. I always say to Micah, I'm like, you come up with such great ideas, but why don't you want to talk on the show? But he's just too shy. But he talked to me about Skyfall and how he thinks that that can qual- classify as a revenge film. I don't agree, but I'll allow it because <laughs> we and we have, of course, talked about Skyfall in our James Bond episode. But I think that it's prevalent enough that we can discuss it. I mean, and, it, and it's an interesting way of looking at it, right? Like this is a James Bond movie. But the villain is solely driven by very specific revenge. So I, I thought it was interesting enough that I was like, let's do it. Yeah. And um, so often, I think in a, in a revenge storyline, we are the, the revenge is like the quote unquote good guy trying to get back at the bad guy. So this is kind of a, a an interesting little twist on that where. Uh, we have our bad guy, our villain, who is seeking a very specific, uh, a very pointed revenge on um, M, MI6. Um, I mean, I think, do you think it's more that he's angry with M or the organization of MI6 on the whole? Um, he's pretty obsessively 
after M. Yeah. I mean, you know, he does, or I guess Spectre's one where they blow up MI6 building, right? So, I mean, he's just, throughout the whole movie, Javier Bardem's like going after M. Wherever M is, that's where he's going. They take M to the Skyfall Mansion. He goes to the Skyfall Mansion. So, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely about M. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, reflecting on that, thinking more about it, I was like, okay, that was that was a clever use of uh, a spurt, uh, using this like spurned character um, that, uh, you know, is uh, facing off against James Bond. I, it's probably what, you know, leads again to the the greatness and the brilliance of Skyfall and what may, really kind of sets it apart from a lot of other other Bond films. But yeah, Javier Bardem played that hurt, I think, so well. Uh, and it's a very tragic character. Um, and uh, it was, you know, he was just super compelling. No, I agree. It's making him one of the better Bond villains was he's not just cartoonishly evil. Um, his humanity, like there's yeah. a real humanity to him. Yeah. He feels wrong. He was wronged. Um, you know, I think let's talk about, so a classic revenge category is Westerns. Ah, you read my mind. That was going to be what I was thinking we should start talking about first. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and so we were talking about what makes revenge so compelling. And I mean, it's old, one of the oldest types of stories. I mean, you go back to Shakespeare. I mean, Hamlet is basically a revenge movie. And that's kind of what, I mean, we, we brought up the Northmen. Uh, on previous episodes, but uh, it, I mean, the Northman is basically Hamlet, and mm. uh, it's just one big revenge movie. He's just his whole mantra as he's going through the movie is, you know, I'm going to get revenge. Remind him, so I'm going to get revenge. Mm. But so old, old category, and that goes back to old westerns, modern day westerns. I mean, I put three westerns on my yeah, list. Yeah. So the oldest of which was. Um, the Outlaw Josie Wales, uh, one of the one of the better uh, Eastwood, especially late period Eastwood westerns. Uh, it's really really good, and uh, it, I mean, right at the very beginning of the movie, what sparks the revenge happens, and he kind of gets his revenge in pieces throughout. But they're also trying to hunt him down because because he keeps <laughs> getting revenge. You're like, we're gonna take this guy out, but. Uh, did you get a chance to watch? I didn't get a chance to watch that one. I I, I wish I had, but um, I mean, in the posters right there, it's got such this great expression. Clint Eastwood has such this great expression on his face and on your letterbox list. It always caught my eye, but I didn't get a chance to watch it. Yeah, it's one of the good ones. But of course, while we're on the, the subject of Clint, of course, I also put Unforgiven on the list. Yes. And I want to say, I did say in a previous episode, and like, I'm I'm fine with, you know, you got to change. You know, to be a good person, you got to be willing to change, change your mind, be more open. I said on a previous episode, I think it was our action movie one that uh, I just didn't get unforgiven. I felt like it was about nothing. But I, you know, over the years, I've just been so driven that everybody I respect loves this movie. I'm like, (laughs) I'm going to figure this out. And I have have it on Blu-ray in a box set. You have the same box set. I do, yeah. And I just said, I'm just going to, I'm going to watch this movie until I get it. And then earlier this year, I watched it for the fourth time, I think. And something clicked. And I was like, I get it now. Okay. What did you, I, I also rewatched it and I actually finally liked it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I kind of always picked up the, you know, there's something there with Unforgiven that's kind of speaking to Clint's career. Hmm. You know, the character Eddie Money is, or not Eddie Money, that's a singer. <laughs> what is Baby, it? hold on to yeah. me. That would be a funny movie. Uh, uh, William Money mm-hmm. is kind of 
you know, he, what they describe as his life is kind of the character Clint Eastwood's been playing in Westerns for, you know, 40 years up to that mm-hmm. point. But I think every time I watched it, I mean, it's just kind of events happen in a sequence. And I guess I didn't really get what made it so good. But something clicked for this time. And in terms of it being a revenge movie, it's great because well, it's great for several reasons. One, the movie starts with the the women of the brothel wanting yeah. revenge. Yes. And then the movie ends because William Money goes to seek revenge for something that happens later in the movie. And he has to become this man that he swore he was not going to anymore, you know, which is um, prefaced by that great speech about the hell of a thing killing a man. The other one, too. All on account of pulling the trigger. It's a hell of a thing killing a man. You take away all he's got, and all he's ever gonna have. And Gene Hackman, who's just, I still don't, I'm still not quite sure why he cared so much about protecting. I, I don't even know if it really was protecting the men that slashed up the 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 prostitute. But I, I didn't, I really couldn't understand his motivation, but maybe I wasn't supposed to understand his motivation. Maybe he just was, he, it just was, he was used to ruling that town and didn't, want any you know any competition there anyone going above his head so um it was an ego thing for him so uh, yeah um and you know that performance is so peculiar to me because he's he's so good i mean mm-hmm. he won an oscar but he's also kind of out of place mm-hmm. i don't think i've ever seen gene hackman in a western other than that but i think you're kind of on the right track i think it's just that he's just not a good guy he also has a past that has followed him around and he does have to keep order in that little town and you know, he's not going to execute um, some guys that were just passed through town for a, a bunch of prostitutes. Mm-hmm. I think he, you know, he's kind of like, you don't make the rules. I make the rules and trying to keep order. I mean, it's just that he just wasn't a good guy. And that's why it's so satisfying when William money clears that bar. I mean, even, I got to say, even when I didn't think the movie worked for me, that final scene was always amazing. Yeah. And so satisfying because everybody in that town sucked. Yeah. And they didn't realize what they were dealing with with William Money. But I also really like in the revenge aspect of things, it shows how meaningless revenge is because the whole movie, you know, the movie is not about these prostitutes sending someone to go kill these guys. It's kind of just the, the driver for the plot. But, you know, those those men getting killed just seems so meaningless. It's just so small. It's like, you know, the, the prostitutes paid paid them to go get these guys. They got them, and it just didn't matter. It didn't change anything. It, 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 it wasn't lent- as important as other parts of the movie. It just It was just so meaningless. It lent to the characters, some of the characters, I think, discovering something about themselves, like, I um the the young man that first comes to Clint and tells him about the uh the bounty or whatever to that these prostitutes yeah, the are offering guy. yeah when he finally kills one of the 
the perpetrators in the in the outhouse. Um, I I his reaction to having murdered someone I, that was more interesting than the murder itself. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I, and I want to say I don't mean that it's bad storytelling. I think it's great storytelling because it's showing that this revenge is just revenge itself. I mean, it doesn't get you anything. It didn't change these women's lives. It didn't make some great big statement that these guys were dead. You know? Yeah. It was the backdrop of a lot of other more important things. Uh, the fact that more important things happen in the movie shows you that revenge is just, gets you nothing. Yeah. And it, it, if it's okay, if I can start talking about True Grit, it kind of, you know. Grab my mind. Yeah. It, we're it, talking about the Coen Brothers remake. Yes, thank you. Way. Thank you. Uh, I, um, again, the, the uh, Haley Steinfeld character she is so driven by, you know, her thirst for vengeance on this man that killed her father. And, um, but I mean, what I think we come or what I came away with at the end of the movie is, is not, that's more in the background. And really what is the most important thing about the story is the relationship she built with Rooster with the Jeff Bridges, uh, character, um, it's still, it's like a very kind of just the movie just kind of seems to end. There's not really, it doesn't really give you any warm and fuzzy feeling. And I mean, that's kind of the Coen's sort of style anyway, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they didn't alter the story from the original too much from my understanding. Um, I, but I just gotta say, I saw True Grit, uh, when it first, like, you know, it, it finished its theater run and it went to rentals. And I remember liking it, but like watching it again a few months ago, um, it's just, it's so good. Mm-hmm. And, and and I think it's like. Matt Damon is so good in it. Too. He's, yeah. Yeah. They're, man, I, uh, Barry Pepper out of nowhere. And he's really good in it. Um, and of course, Josh Brolin, it, uh, it's a top tier Coen Brothers movie. And I, I don't think it gets brought up because they're, library is so robust but uh and it's it's kind of outside um what they typically do but i encourage everyone like it's on paramount plus like true grit is it's really really good uh but on the revenge part of things you're right this everyone that's been around violence is trying to tell this girl you know you think you want this and you don't and you know what does she get for it she loses an arm. I guess she's satisfied, though. But she got a friendship out of it, which is kind of weird to say. But more optimistic view on on things. Um, I th- but would her outcome have been better if she just let them take her father's killer into custody and he, he gets arraigned for it? And then she still would have made friends. She could have kept her arm. She wouldn't have someone's death on her conscience. I don't know. Yeah. I got the the portray- portrayal of the girl that had turned into the woman that we see at the end of the movie. I I, I get that she, you know, she she in her the voiceover is talking about she's seen as like an old maid now, and but I don't see her as having. She's not ashamed of that. It's just you know, I um, I I think for her she accomplished what she, what she wanted on that on that journey. I think. Um, yeah, I just got this sense that she was she she was satisfied with where um where that story ended up for her. But um I also really just liked 
in seeing going from unforgiven to true grit where you have the the women in the brothel that hire the men to go get the revenge on their behalf and then seeing this young this young woman going along she won't you know she she won't stay behind as everyone is telling her to do like know your place she wants to be there in in the action i thought you know added this other great um just it opened the door for uh better character interactions and story and um i it, there's a lot of comedy to that as well i i think and and how she interacts with matt damon and jeff bridges along the way too so um i liked i liked i really like that um she i like her pluckiness yeah i i really encourage everyone to go check it out if you haven't seen it in a while or never seen it at all i mean we don't doubt the cohen brothers um it's really good uh one i wanted to touch on real quick because I think we can kind of categorize everything else, and this one kind of stands out by itself. Uh, did you get a chance to watch Blue Ruin? I did not, no. Blue Ruin is fascinating. It was a low-budget indie film that like barely got the funding together uh, to, to, to get made, and it, uh, it, it made the film festivals, garnering a lot of attention for the, uh, the writer-director, whose name is uh, Jeremy Salton. Sol- Saulnier? Saulnier? I don't know. I can't pronounce his name. I know he's gone on to do other things, but Blue Ruin is is about a movie. It's a movie about um, a guy from a rural town who hasn't really left town. Uh, he's living out of his car. He's he's looks like a derelict. You know, his long beard, long hair, disheveled clothing. The, the local police know who he is. Basically, the gist of it is his father was murdered. The man who was convicted of murdering his father is getting out of prison and going to celebrate with his family, and he sees this as a chance to get his revenge. Now, what's so interesting about this movie is, one, this is just a normal dude. He's, there's nothing exceptional about him at all. Um, he's, he's short. He's not athletic. He's uh, you know in his 30s, and he gets his revenge at the beginning of the movie, and the rest of the movie is the consequences of that action. And it really gives this more realistic portrayal to revenge in the real world uh, and what this average guy has to do uh, moving forward. He pretty quickly puts his sister in danger. You could just the whole movie, he doesn't really know what he's doing. Mm. Uh, it's fascinating and it's a devastating um, movie. I Really good, Blue Ruin. Uh, fascinating revenge, other side of revenge or a different perspective on revenge, real-world revenge. Uh, can't recommend it enough. Cool. What direction do you want to go now? Ooh, um, since it's not exactly a Western, but it kind of hits on some of those themes, can I talk about The Revenant? Yeah, I mean, oh. that's that's a revenge Okay, movie. Okay. Absolutely. Um, the Revenant, which is the movie that, you know, won Leo his, finally his Oscar. Some people say it's not the Oscar he should have won, but... You know, he maybe should have won for other performances, but regardless, now Leonardo DiCaprio has an Academy Award, and I think it is for a uh, a very intense performance. This was my third time watching The Revenant, um, and I um, it's really fresh. I actually just finished it this morning, um, and yes, it's it's a revenge story, but also this like man battling the elements uh and uh i guess for anyone that's not 
familiar with the story. It's uh, um, Leonardo DiCaprio is playing. Um, his last name is Glass, I believe. Yeah, uh, John a, Glass, a I real think. life frontiersman. Yes, uh, who is uh, working um, with the uh, fur trapping uh, as a uh, hunting. He has his son who um, is half in Native American. He gets along the line. He gets attacked by a bear in a very visceral scene that I'm sure everyone has heard about. And uh, it's, you know, so he's dealing now with recovering from the wounds of being attacked by the bear. Well, we have this Tom Hardy who's at this peak despicable villainy that is really just only looking out for himself, wants to leave him basically for dead because he's pissed how their situation has ended up and he's not going to end up making as much money and uh, he's dragging the whole crew behind because they're having to look after uh, Glass as he's um, healing and leads to him in an altercation where he's very, very, uh, ooh, it's so, so sinister the way he approaches Glass because he can't really speak. He's like had his vocal cords sort of ripped to shreds by the bear. So he's laying there basically lifeless and Tom Hardy's telling him, you know, just blink and I will, I'll put you out of your misery. Um, And you kind of get a sense that he does accept, like Leo does accept that it is his time and maybe he should just die. But the son intervenes and in tries to stop Tom Hardy. And in that altercation, Tom Hardy stabs the son. Thus, starting Glass, Leonardo DiCaprio's quest for vengeance on Tom Hardy. That's, sorry, that was a long way to get to that point. Well, that's but, okay. I'll um, actually interject to say Tom Hardy is so good in this movie. And I know Leo's the one that won, but Tom Hardy was also up that year. That's the year he lost to Mark Rylance for Bridge of Spies. That was actually a loaded supporting actor year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I still thought Hardy should have won. He completely disappears into that character. Yeah, yeah. He's... Um, we were uh, we were talking about how I I won't be able to do it now probably because I'm on mic but I've kind of recently discovered I do an okay Bane impression and then I I was so there's and I I did a well, I, I did a pretty good impression why you would shoot a man before throwing him out a plane I think that's the second time I've done that impression on this podcast and I there's there's a moment between Leo and Tom when they're finally have their final altercation and. Glass is finally stabbed. I think his name is, is it Fitzgerald? Is, I, you know, I, think, I haven't I, seen it since Let's just theaters. say it's Fitzgerald. Yeah. I think that's that's what his name is. So Tom Hardy's playing Fitzgerald. Glass stabs Fitzgerald. And as he's dying, he says to him, you got your, oh no, I can't do it. No, he's no, no, doing no. some great accent work, but the line really stuck with me. And it's like, you, you finally got your revenge, but it's not going to bring your dead yes. son back. Yes. And it's just like, this guy is piece of shit but he's right even but he can't even give him that satisfaction like he has to just dig him again and be like so you did this to me but i'm i'm just so evil to my core that i'm going to remind you that it's really all for nothing but it opens the door to you know glass having his moment to say revenge is in god's hands now like i which i think is a more you know ominous Thing to send off your villain like to send off your enemy as they're dying being like just wait for the afterlife you know 
God, God may have other, you know, bigger plans for you. Right. But I I do think that ending is so poignant because the entire movie is driven or excuse me, let me phrase that. The entire movie is set around this man who was driven by revenge. He fought death off with like completely focused Mm -hmm. on revenge. The only thing that kept him alive. And then when he gets it, he has to be reminded. It's like, cool. You got your revenge. Now what? And that's kind of the crux of all, like, these revenge stories. Is this, this going to bring you something? Sure. Is it going to fix it? No, it's not. Yeah. Your son's still dead. Mm-hmm. Your, your body's still destroyed. You killed me. Great. Yeah. Now what? So, I mean, it's a revenge movie. Uh, d- uh, definitely in that same vein, like, that being a more contemporary revenge film, maybe let's just stay in that category. Uh, the most obvious contemporary is, uh, and we've, Already discussed this movie on this podcast before, but Gladiator, pretty, oh, sure. pretty, yeah. pretty straightforward. Um, I will admit, I think this one kind of toes a line because I think there's a couple things that are the main focus of this movie. I think revenge is enough of a focus that I'll I, I put it on my my list on Letterbox. But um, it's it if if you balked at it, I I would understand, like because it's not the main driver. You know, he's. He's not driven by revenge at first. I mean, he's so apathetic when he first becomes a slave and, you know, he's he's winning these fights probably out of just pure, that's all he knows how to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but until he gets to the Coliseum, I don't even think he's thinking about revenge. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the North, general of the Felix Legions. Loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius. Father to a murdered son. Husband to a murdered wife. And I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. Yeah, but I I, um, I think what makes the movie memorable and what gives the fire to Russell Crowe's performance is the is the vengeance element. So, yeah. yeah. But uh, but again, we've talked about this movie. We praised it a bunch on our Ridley Scott episode. Um, another contemporary one. I mean, we'd be remiss if we didn't bring up the first John Wick, which the rest of that franchise has gotten away from the revenge element and focused more on this really cool, compelling underground of assassins. But the first movie is just is a pure revenge movie as you're going to get. The means of those revenge, avenging a puppy, uh, definitely a new one on me when it came out, but I'm just so fascinated by John Wick because, as we said, it was going to be a small-time movie until the director talked Keanu into being in it. And I think we were all just shocked at how good it was when it came out. It's so much fun, and I'm glad that the franchise has turned into what it's turned into, but, I mean, it's just meat potatoes. You mess with the wrong guy, he's going to get his revenge, he gets it, and then that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say, I'm... I? I'm not very well versed in like Kung Fu stories, but would you say that's kind of like kind of falling more in line and like what made like, uh, you know, Kung Fu movies of like the seventies, eighties. So fun to watch is just like, it's kind of just like straightforward, like yeah. action. We've got a pissed off person. That yeah. Is gonna, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and definitely we could talk more about the, um, the, the, Asian cinema influence, kung fu movie influence here. I mean, that's going to be a whole, a whole yeah. big piece of this conversation. Uh, but I think you're right; those are always pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. Somebody was wrong. 
a family member or a, or a teacher was was killed and 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 then and then the revenge train starts um but yeah john wick a lot of fun not not a lot a lot there in terms of uh you know complicated storyline but man they're a blast it's fun keanu reeves just seems like he loves making those movies and it, it reads on screen so yeah, yeah i kind of hope they finish them soon i thought four might be the last <laughs> one but now they're saying there should be a fifth one i just like I'm, money's too good i'm not buying any of them until there's a box set of the whole series so yeah. uh in fact there's a box set of the first three and people ran out and bought it i'm like guys the fourth one's about to come in theater what are you doing Finishing up maybe the contemporary side of things. Uh, I'm so excited to talk to you about this. Did you get to finish Man on Fire? Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. I love that movie so much. A movie like, that always air- was on TNT, and I just kind of maybe saw, like, a few minutes of it total, like, here and there. And But sitting, you know, from start to finish watching it, um, a different experience. Very glad I finally saw it. Listen, I know this sounds ridiculous. This is probably my favorite Denzel movie. I know it's not his best movie. I know it's probably not even his top three best movie. It's still my favorite Denzel movie. I could watch it all day long. Uh, just everything about it is so amazing. I mean, Tony Scott's production during that time was feels drug and fueled with the colors like a music video kind of yeah but you know if you can look past that it's just you know another one of those movies where the bad guys don't know who they're messing with and you gave them a reason to come after you and i mean it's like taken which we said Mm -hmm. it's not a revenge movie but you know you mess with the wrong guy i love how just brutal it gets out of nowhere uh the ending is so good uh it is but uh, how methodical his revenge is. I love when he goes into this people's apartment. He's got the, the RPG launcher to hit the, the one car, drags that guy under the bridge to get him away from the uh, the helicopters. Uh, you know. Oh, my gosh. I guess I'm grinning from ear to ear just thinking, it's like, I'm, I'm sick for fighting yeah, all of this, like, awful stuff that he does. But it goes again. Yeah. They're fun. It's a fun watch. Mm-hmm. Like, you're just totally with Denzel. But you know what else I really like about it? I love revenge movies, but I also love a good redemption movie. I think mm-hmm. just just philosophically, I think re- redemption is an incredibly important aspect to society. So I I I, I love a good revenge story or a redemption story, and that, it's also a redemption yeah. story. He says at the beginning of the movie, "Do you think God will ever forgive us for what we did?" And Christopher Walken says, "No," and he he gets his redemption at the end. Um, oh man, I love that movie. It's very Dakota Fanning. I reminded Holy me, shit. She's it reminded so good. me too of why she wasn't everything in the early 2000s. I like do not she, normally like precocious child actors, but she's just, she's so good. And their friendship that they form, you're like, how can this work between a middle-aged man and a white, a little white girl, you know, a middle-aged black man, and a little white girl living in Mexico? Uh, like what would bring them together? But they, it's the, their chemistry is, is just, it, it's, it's so good. You are just so drawn to their friendship. And, um, and she is, she is just heartbreaking and you totally understand why he loves her and wants to, um, why, what inspires this like quest for vengeance. Um, before we get into the, we just said, we're really going to dive into Asian cinema influence on revenge films. Cause that is just a whole, you know, subtopic unto itself. You really wanted to, Bring up Mandy. Oh, Mandy, yes. Which I, um, I will admit, I chickened out on rewatching it um, because <laughs> it it just uh, 
it's just really gruesome. <laughs> but I, a yeah. lot of it has really stuck with me from when I saw it in theaters. And, um, you it, know, not it, just gruesome, but like just, just disturbing. Disturbing. Yeah. But also weirdly funny at parts. I don't know. I, I haven't seen it uh, in a couple of years, but when you brought it up and I was like, oh, we are absolutely going to talk about Mandy. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. It's, uh, it's something. It's Nicolas Cage out of 10. It's a feast for the eyes. Yes. It's so, it's it's unlike anything I had really seen before. And um, just like this, almost like a watercolor painting that had just like come to life at times. And uh, Andrea Riseborough, who, you know, got yeah. a lot of attention for yeah. her maybe not so deserving Oscar nomination she just received. Uh, but... I actually, I watched to Leslie. Did you watch it? I th- I saw on Letterboxd that you reviewed it. Yeah. Yeah. And, it was okay. Know. I mean, um, she's really good in it. It was kind of just reminded me of Tender Mercies. Mm. It's a very similar story to Tender Mercies. But anyway, different, yeah. different, different topic. I guess I just wanted to say that I think that she's lovely in Mandy um, and what she's doing and um, uh, is, is, is gone too soon, but her, she has to die in order to give Nicholas Cage, you know, this, his character, this, uh, the whole, the whole reason for why we're watching the movie. Then he, he goes on his, his quest to avenge her, her, her death. Um, and uh, yeah, I will say some of the, tactics he employs in killing some of the villains are are kind of funny at times from what i remember but there's also a really 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 like gripping like heartbreaking scene of him like screaming in a bathroom it's so good and people laughed in the theater when i watched it and i was like i don't really get why they're laughing i think it made, maybe no, made people feel Cage. uncomfortable and yeah because it's nicholas cage but if you could just see it as like without the baggage of who nicholas cage is i think it's a very very yeah. very very good scene a depiction of extreme grief yeah. no i agree i thought that was that's usually the first scene from that movie that pops in my head when i think about mandy mm-hmm. uh is his 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 reaction in the bathroom uh mandy is something and if you haven't seen it i don't even know if i'd recommend it to you yeah. it's uh it's uh I, I think it's good, but it's not going to be for everyone. You know, if it's playing in like a, a drive-in movie theater or something like that, I think that would be like the perfect way to watch it on like a summer night, like in a big audience. If, I don't know, maybe the Northwest Film Center will put on something, a series this summer. You and definitely do not want to watch it by yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so let's get into this main big subgenre of, of revenge films. Easiest way to transition into that is the movie that uh, took the most influence from that subgenre, Kill Bill. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, rewatching it, I was like, wow, so many needle drops. <laughs> Man, uh, I've, I'm on record on this podcast how much I love Tarantino, and I hope we can just do a full-on Tarantino episode at some point. But love Kill Bill. Uh, very memorable experience seeing a theater. It was so, you know, I got into Pulp Fiction, and then I watched Reservoir Dogs and Jackie Brown. I'm like, I'm all in on this guy. I'm, I'm all in. And so I was so thankful that the first movie I had a chance to see in theaters that he directed was the first Kill Bill. And I will never forget sitting in theater with my sister and watching people gradually walk out. Oh, The most when Lucy Liu runs across the table, cuts the guy's head off, and the water spurts out. And me and my sister are dying laughing because we get it. You know, Tarantino's like, I'm going to do a contemporary ode to these kung fu movies that I love so much. And people are just walking out because they think it's bad or silly. And that's why it was so funny that they didn't go see Kill Bill 2 because it got popular 
Oh, yeah. You know, and everybody's like, oh, well, now this is cool. It's like, well, you should have saw it the first one. <laughs> but uh, Are you a volume one person? Like, do you prefer volume one to volume two? Yeah, I think people are a little too... I mean, I think everybody likes volume two, but they're a little hard on it. Um, it's actually my... I like volume two more than really? volume one. But it's not to put down volume one. I think volume one is wonderful. But volume so two works for me uh, the best. Every time I watch volume one, I just... I always go... This movie is so cool, and it just shouldn't be. And I think if anybody else even attempted this, it would have been a disaster. I think someone says that. Uh, maybe it's maybe it is David Carradine, or is it Mike? In one of the special features, they said like Quentin Tarantino had to be the person that made this movie. Like yeah. it, 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 it's this movie because he made it. Yeah, like, it, he had a yeah. genuine passion for it, and that's why it's good. It wasn't just like a passing idea or something he thought be amusing he had a genuine passion for these kung fu movies and he did it just the right way to i mean even in the second one you've got daryl you know being like i killed your master yeah that's right and it's like this is great and it just shouldn't be so fantastic and um man i i really 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 love michael madsen it goes back to um he is the the foster parent in in Free Willy, and I watched oh that movie gosh, a lot as a kid. And I I think I always had like a crush on him. And so, uh, getting to see him, uh, you know, again as a uh, it's Bud, right? Is I think his yes. yeah. That woman deserves her revenge. We deserve to die. Even getting like the story, maybe didn't necessarily have. We didn't have to see him going. I'm going on a tangent now. We didn't have to see him going to his job at the strip club and getting you know torn into by his boss but there. It's but it's great. Yeah, it's great. It's great writing. And I have to hand it to Quentin Tarantino and Uma Thurman working together on this. But he capturing like what the pain and like the relief and the anger she all has at once when she sees that her daughter is actually alive is like, I just was like, how, wow. Like he put it on the page, but she brought it to life. Like it was such a perfect meeting of the minds there. And also her breakdown on the bathroom floor at the end. Yeah. Which turns into her laughing and, and you really feel like, you, f- you feel hopeful for her at the yeah. end of the movie. This is like one of the more hopeful revenge movies, in my opinion, of that we that for I watched. For sure. So, that's, that's the one I alluded yeah. to earlier was that this had a satisfying, call it happy if you want, ending. But she even gets some like closure with Bill. Um, it's all a little too perfect, but I don't care. It's yeah. like exactly what the story needed. Um, and if I remember correctly, she was also... Miss Tarantino's project, but I think that she had a lot of, like, he really partnered with her. Yeah. She had a passion for it as well. So, just, you know, why it turned out so great. Um, and that leads us into what we were talking about. Asian cinema has this history of, of revenge films. You know, going back to the old Kung Fu movies, some of the Bruce Lee movies, um, Lady Snowbird, which I, I've never seen, but, you know, it's, a, it's one that always gets brought up. But one person in particular I really want to bring up who is just like the king of these revenge movies, whether he's writing them, directing them, is a Park Chan-wook from, from Korea, um, most notably famous for making his Vengeance trilogy. Uh, you've seen a couple of his movies. I've seen quite a few of his mm-hmm. movies. 
but we can just start with the Revenge trilogy. So he starts with Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, which you have not seen. I have not seen, but I was telling you that one of my favorite podcasts, Blank Check, they're doing a series on on um, him now. And and so I was list- I've listened like half of their episode on that uh, movie. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, definitely want to seek it out. It's but. good. I, I definitely think it's it's. I, I hesitate to say the weakest of the three of the trilogy. It's just, it's just the other two are just better. Um, but it's, it's a great example of the consequences of revenge. Mm-hmm. Um, and who's seeking the revenge? Like the revenge doesn't even really come into the movie about halfway through. Uh, but some good performances, early performance by a uh, song King Hope, who you'll know from parasite mm-hmm. he plays the dad in parasite. And he's, He's great. I've seen him in a, in a number of movies. Um, and he, he, they bring him back for a small part in Lady Vengeance. I recognized him, but he's not really in the movie for very long. Right. But yeah. Right. Yeah. So Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, great beginning uh, for Park Chan-wook. But my God, then he follows it up with the, the triumphant old boy. Um, and I'm so glad. So I don't think I told you this. I haven't seen old boy in like over a decade. Uh-huh. I've never forgot watching it though. I, I've never forgot... Like, I remember the movie ended and then I had to go somewhere and I got in the car and as I was driving, I don't even think I turned music on. I just sat there and thought, who thought of this and why did it work so good? Because it's just so, but man, what it, it's just fascinating, compelling. So I really wanted to rewatch it before we did this because it's been so long and it is nowhere. Yeah, you can't rent I saw it on that. Amazon. So I had to order a Blu-ray from Amazon to get it here as fast as possible since I know the story this time, because it's the first time you watch it, you really got to pay attention. Uh, and by the way, if you've never seen Old Boy, you either know or you don't. I'm not going to give anything away because I don't care how old this movie is. If you've never seen it, you got to just watch it. Mm-hmm. Just a masterfully made film. And I, the fact that it's been so admired um, and, and revered for as long as it has with the, the content in it just shows you how well made it is. And so this time I really focused on the camera work's incredible. The music is so good. Um, the performances are really good. And as far as the revenge aspect goes, it's a double revenge movie. The protagonist doesn't realize that at first, that someone's seeking revenge on him. Um, and then he goes after revenge and finds out towards the end of the movie that it all was revenge for him. And the protagonist doesn't, I don't want to give anything away, but maybe he doesn't really get the revenge that he wants, but he probably deserved it. And then the villain maybe seemingly does get the revenge he wanted, but I think in his final, as his story comes to a close, maybe realizes it didn't mean anything. I mean, again, the complexities of revenge are all over the place in this movie, and Uh that's why it's so good. On top of the aesthetics, which, of course, the I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the the one-track hammer fight scene, which people have brought up a million times, but it's so good, and what I really liked about it, I remember liking about it the first time, and on this rewatch is that it's not this like overly choreographed fight. It just feels like they told the guys just go for it. And mm-hmm. it just feels like a real fight. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Old I, boy's incredible. If, if I can borrow your copy, cause I, Micah and I do want to rewatch it, but we, yeah, we couldn't find it anywhere online in time for this. So you got if, it. If I could borrow your movie, you're welcome to any of my movies. Thank you. Uh, but then the third part of the trilogy is lady vengeance, which is, is if, Old Boy's a five-star movie. Lady Vengeance is a four-and-a-half-star. It's mm-hmm. really good. But i really love to hear your thoughts on it, particularly the way the movie ends, which is brilliant. Yeah. Oh, um, by the way, uh, uh, Choi Min-sik, who's the main uh, actor in Old Boy, continues to work with Park Chan-wook and is in Lady Vengeance as well as a villain this time. Yes. And as a um, 
kind of like what I mentioned with like Tom Hardy and his his villain in The Revenant. I found that this he is the villain in Lady Vengeance also is so infuriating because I felt like as much as she's trying to break him down and get him to show any type of remorse, I don't feel like he ever shows it. it do you do you remember seeing him express any type of remorse for the child murders? If he does, it's it's just and my inference would just be he's completely out of fear yeah, for what's about to happen to, to him. himself. Yeah. So yeah, uh, Lady Vengeance, seeing it back to back with Kill Bill 2 was a uh, very um, impactful for me and and seeing I I kind of didn't I didn't realize that there was going to be like kind of parallel storylines there in terms of a woman new mother who was robbed of the you know early years with her baby her child and I it's not as so much the driving force in um the protagonist in Lady Vengeance as it is with uh the bride in Kill Bill but still thought it was uh interesting to mention and I, I I thought it 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 kind of you know adds this woman's scorned fury that you know mama lion like protecting her cub kind of feeling um that uh it, I I really was gripped to I think the first standout thing in Lady Vengeance that I wanted to bring up is like we talk about the person organizing and putting the pieces together to enact their revenge this movie, Lady Vengeance, is a really cool example brilliant. of that. And, Absolutely brilliant. Um, you know, showing the cast of characters who she meets while she's in prison and how she they all owe her favors for things that she did while she was there for them. And um, it, it uh, I really liked that element to it. And uh, um, and then I was completely taken by surprise by her involving the parents the families of the children who were murdered i did not see that coming did you see that coming that well, she was going to yes i knew i knew that that's the climax of the movie like that's what made me want to view it mm-hmm. uh, i actually saw so the uh, netflix show voir mm. that was produced by fincher they do a revenge episode and and the um the narrator for that episode focuses like his revenge theme of the episode off of that of that part of Lady Vengeance. Like, that's what, like, the comp- the complexity of what you have to, you have to f- decide your feelings as a viewer of what happens and the option she gives to these parents um, is is how that person decided to do a revenge theme, and that's what made me want to see Lady Vengeance. Mm-hmm. On top of being the follow-up to Old Boy, it's just absolutely brilliant what they put you through as a viewer and what you have to decide for yourself it's really, really, really smart. Park Chan Wook just—I I don't know—he he makes all these revenge movies, and none of them are the same. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'll, he can come from a new angle, a fresh perspective. Yes, uh, every, this some this felt very fresh to me. I've never really seen something like this in a revenge movie before, and uh, in in terms of bringing in. A, you know, bringing in all of these the the parents and this added element, also how maniacal of her to 
put the speaker in the room with him so he can hear them all discussing what their plans are to torture him, you know, to get their revenge on on him, which is just this added layer, you know, to build up in his mind. He can just, you know, be sitting there in fear thinking of what what's or, you know, what's about to happen to him. So, uh, yeah, she's kind of an evil genius in yes. that respect. So um, yeah. and, and the ending, you 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 talk about the ending and I. There's uh, in the voiceover, they talk about how she made a mistake as a young person getting involved in this kidnapping to begin with that she mm-hmm. thought was going to all it was would result in is the kid would sit and watch some TV for a little while and then they would get the ransom and the child would be safe and fine. She didn't realize she was working with a psychopath, right? Um, child murderer. She made a poor decision. She was wrongly convicted of murdering the child. And when she was released, she went seeking for some kind of solace, I guess, in it. And I think the voiceover says something like she didn't really find it. Like, I I think she's still just left feeling she's still mad at herself or feels empty. I I, I don't know. Yeah. Which is you know, often the theme of revenge, even the families, like they, they seem like they're going to try to go back to normal lives and probably not be able to. Um, it's really good. And, and, you know, Park Chan-wook has, has gone on to make a lot of other things. Uh, he did not direct, but he wrote a movie called I Saw the Devil, which was on Amazon Prime. I wanted um, to rewatch that. I didn't get a chance to. It's brutal. It's really, really, really viscerally, viscerally brutal. It's, it's some of it's hard to watch. It's very gruesome. Um, but what I like about it is that, so once again, Choi Min-sik from Old Boy and Lady Vengeance is the, the villain in this. Um, the protagonist stretches the revenge out on purpose. He drags, it's like a methodical revenge instead of just either, you know, just getting it over with. And there's consequences to that. And that's, that's kind of what I liked about that aspect of the story. It's not as good as the revenge trilogy, but, or the vengeance trilogy, but uh, it, I thought it was pretty good if you can handle, if you can stomach it. Beautifully shot. The final shot of the movie is just absolutely gorgeous. Um, but but yeah, Park Chan Wook is the is the revenge king in my opinion. If he made a revenge movie every year, I'd see them all. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot, you know, watching his movies for this, and now that like one of my favorite movie podcasts is doing a series on his films, I'm like really motivated to want to see as many of them as possible. So yeah. Well, I I think that covered all the ones I really wanted to touch on. Did you have any more that you wanted to bring up? I thought about bringing up Sicario because we do find out oh, at yes. the end of the movie that Benicio del Toro that it's driven by revenge. But it's interesting because it's not the main driver. But then you find out it really was the main driver, and it is kind of the huge climax of the movie. Yeah, it's so good. yeah. The Sicario is so good. Denis so Villeneuve, I I think of him a lot of times as being neck and neck with Christopher Nolan. And um, they're also, well, now Christopher Nolan, I think, has broken his relationship with Warner Brothers. But oh, yeah. like Universal made is, Oppenheimer. Yeah. Now Denise kind of Warner Brothers, like big guy that they're backing. And um, doing two, I, baby. Yeah. Uh, I just think of them as kind of being they're the big showman. But I, I find uh, that uh, Denis Villeneuve really um, captures people really well. And like what the essence of like. Like he just he understands uh, 
motivations, I think, in a really realistic way uh, that I think sometimes Christopher Nolan misses. But I'm not meaning to dig at Christopher Nolan. No, no, no. I, but, I like uh, I like yeah. Nolan, but I know what his limitations are. And uh, I think Denny does does do a better job of what you described. Prisoners. Mm-hmm. Uh, Enemy is excessively complicated. I still not 100% yeah. of what the hell that movie is. But I, Arrival, I, I mean, wrecked me. Yeah. I, I was... Christopher like, Nolan cannot yeah. make Arrival. Yeah. I, I I'm a fan, I, but I, I, you know, I think to me, a big complaint against Christopher Nolan is that he doesn't really, um, service his female, uh, characters very well. And mm-hmm. I think Denis Villeneuve does a really good job with women in his movies. So, uh, like I, I think about Sicario, I think about Arrival. Um, I mean, Rebecca Ferguson and Dune. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. And, and, you know, this is a different topic for a different day, but, yeah. uh, but no, you make a fair point, but I am excited for Oppenheimer. Oh, can't wait. Well, and that brings us so thank you for listening to our, our first episode back. It was really fun talking about these revenge movies. We're going to do, to what you just said, uh, another one late this month once this mega month gets over with. So we're going to talk about Mission Impossible, which I think we're probably going to see together. Yeah. And then Oppenheimer and Barbie, which I'm just as excited about as anything else. So uh, I think this is a huge month. I'm so excited. I'm so befuddled by Barbie. I don't understand what, I think it's gonna what be the amazing. connection is. with, But yes, befuddled in a in, in an interested intrigued you know i'm 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 very excited to see what greta gerwig is doing with that so well as we always do we're going to end with a recommendation chelsea do you have a recommendation for us this this episode i do and i'm sorry if it's one i talked to you about already in person uh, i mean off mic but uh it is rachel rachel it is uh starring joanne woodward it was paul newman's directorial debut uh, I watched the Ethan Hawke uh, series on Joanne Woodward and um, Paul Newman last summer, and um, I there's some really beautiful um, restored clips from their films that are employed throughout the series on them, and uh, something about Rachel Rachel really stuck with me, and I went watching the documentary, and so I saw it was available on Max, and I um, tuned in, and um, what I just thought was so cool was to see like uh, an indie film uh, in the 60s and kind of what that looked like, something away from like the big studio system. And I think Paul Newman was doing some very experimental um, film work in the movie. And Joanne Woodward is um, giving a really uh, raw and heartbreaking and kind of embarrassing at times performance. And um, I, uh, it's a movie that really stuck with me and I, 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 highly recommend it and um she is is such a talent that i think was kind of overshadowed by her husband paul newman was just this like gorgeous talented hunk you know that took over hollywood and she was so talented in her own right and i didn't really know much about her until that documentary and now i just want to find more and more performances of hers so like i've rewatched philadelphia recently and she plays tom hanks mom in that and i was like oh I didn't remember her in it, but now I feel like I'm going to be clued in looking for her in a lot of other things. So that's it. Oh, so a three, right? That's yeah. So, our, I'm yeah, a little so rusty. it's been Give a while. It a three. Gotta go see it. Everyone should see it. It may seem like a quiet little movie, but it, it's very powerful. Yeah, it's been a while since we've done our ranking system for our recommendations. <laughs> I thought you were telling three. me, wrap it up, no. Chelsea. I'm counting three. you down. <laughs> three. Three is uh, you got to go see it. Real excited about it. Two is it's good. Get around to it when you can. And one is we do not recommend or our recommendation is don't watch it or watch at your own risk. Yeah. Uh, So my my recommendation 
I'm mostly doing this because we did bring it up on an episode and I want to recant what I said about it because I finally got to rewatch it for the first time in probably 12, 13 years. Um, the last samurai with Tom Cruise. Now I brought this up on our Reddit hot takes episode and I said, people criticize it for being a white savior movie and that's fair. I take it back. It is not a white savior movie. It's actually the opposite. The title does not refer to Tom Cruise. It refers to this last group of samurai, the last remaining samurai before, you know, facing modernity and trying to keep their ways relevant, particularly in their community. Um, they are not saved by Tom Cruise. They actually save Tom Cruise. Right. Yeah. And help him find meaning again and redemption. Um, I remember really liking this movie and on rewatch it, man, it's good. Like I really, (laughs) I don't understand why it didn't really permeate like the zeitgeist of, of, of movie fans. Uh, I think it's up there with, with all these other epic, um, period pieces, the gladiator and the brave hearts and stuff. And you know, however you feel about those movies is, is fine, but I don't think it's any, any, you know, if it, if it's behind Gladiator, Braveheart, it's not far. I mean, I don't know. It, it might be better than one of those movies. I think it's better than Braveheart, but... Yeah, um, it's probably better than Braveheart. I, I think it's got more substance than Gladiator, but Gladiator's better all around made. I don't know. Yeah, I'm so happy you brought this up. And you're so... I think the fault of the marketing for this movie is... Yet I understand he's the big movie star mm. was putting Tom Cruise's face on the poster and calling it the last samurai. It is misleading. It makes you think that they're talking about Tom Cruise as the last samurai right. when you're you're correct that he's he's not. Yeah, <laughs> samurai can be plural as yeah. well. And I think yeah. it's talking about all those groups, but also Ken Watanabe who got an Oscar nomination. Oh, yeah. Um he's so good. Uh, he probably should have more Oscar nominations. He's an excellent actor. But no, I I give the last samurai a 3. It is hard to find. I had to order it on Blu-ray to watch it, but it's really good, beautifully shot. I know I say that a lot, but it's one of my favorite aspects of a good movie. If a good movie just is really pretty to look at, um, particularly the first battle scene in the foggy woods. Yeah. Really excellent. Uh, all the acting is really good. Great Hans Zimmer score really pulls, you know, the emotion out of you. Um, some great set pieces. It, it, it's this forgotten, awesome movie. Uh, I can't recommend it enough. Well, we're so happy to be back. This is so much fun. We love doing this. Um, and uh, as I said, we got another one coming out probably right right at the end of the month. Sneak uh, it in. So uh, we are no longer on Twitter because I'm sure you've noticed Twitter has become an awful cesspool and I want nothing to do with it. But we are still on Instagram. Yeah, the marquee spotlight. And um, I I got to put my thinking cap on for what I'll put on there for this episode. So uh, yeah, be on the lookout for that. Uh, we still have our email, the marquee spotlight at gmail.com. Send me your thoughts, what you want to talk about, what you like, don't like. Uh, I'm on letterbox a lot. So if you, yeah, are, you guys should check him out on there. If you, if you want to, you want to come, come visit me on Letterboxd. Uh, I think my name is Spence 84. Uh, and you'll see me uh, as Spencer B. And mm-hmm. that, that's me. Uh, Chelsea's also in Letterbox, but, but I'm not as active on there. But. And your name is much more compl- complicated. <laughs> like Chelsmo B, some you know, some underscores in there. Uh, but if you're enjoying the show, uh, please subscribe, like, leave a review, or do whatever you want. You're an adult. This has been great. Thank you, Spencer. Thank you, everyone. All right. So for the Marquee Spotlight, I'm Spencer Bailey. I'm Chelsea Burnett. We'll see you. Thanks for listening. The Marquee Spotlight is recorded in Portland with music composed and produced by Josh Colopy and cover art created by Taylor Ingle. 
Follow us on Twitter and Instagram for updates on new episodes. And if you like the show, please write a review and share with others. 